Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Just, just consider that, if you will, this morning. If you'll stand to me, stand with me, not to me, but I guess you are facing me nevertheless. If you'll stand with me, turn to the book of Luke chapter number 2, the book of Luke chapter number 2. Here on Sundays and Wednesdays here and there, I've been kind of shooting with a shotgun, hitting and missing uh, on marriage and family and so on and so forth. But I'd like to turn my attention uh, to the family again this morning, but through a different, through perhaps a different lens or from a different angle today. Uh, I would like to go there from the word of the Lord. We can receive uh, correction and instruction and reproof, and it's good for doctrine, the Bible says. So we'll turn to the word of the Lord today in Matthew chapter number two. And uh, we've looked at the responsibility of family concerning the marital relationship. And this morning, I would like just to hone in on uh, the responsibility of the family concerning our parental, our parental uh, responsibilities and relationships. And I want to talk to you this morning about responsible parenting. Luke chapter number 2, starting with verse 39, what this is, the setting of this story, is Mary and Joseph who were uh, parents, as it were, to Jesus Christ. Uh, Could you only imagine? Could you really only imagine? You cannot even begin to touch what it may have been like. Amen. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year. Everybody say every year. Now his, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Everybody say the custom of the feast. The custom. They went up every year according to the custom was. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Was ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the same which he spake unto them. And he went down with them, this is Jesus now, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Amen. This morning I want to talk to us about responsible parenting. Responsible parenting. Do we have any parents here this morning? Is there any parents here? Do we have any grandparents here? Yeah. Praise God. 
So I think it's suitable today. Let's talk to the Lord. Jesus, I love you today. I pray, Lord, you would help me, Father, as, Lord, the pastor of this assembly, Lord, to approach this subject. I prayed this morning, God, through your word. I pray, Lord, you would give us wisdom and understanding, God, concerning the scriptures. God, help us to learn from them and apply them, Lord, in our everyday lives, God, as you would have us to. God, it's just not good, Lord Jesus, for the spiritual man, but it is good, Lord, for the common man, the earthly man as well. God, there are things, Lord, written in your word, God, that applies, God, to us on both of those planes and I pray God that you grant us Lord Jesus the confidence Lord Jesus to employ them in our own lives in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen the church say amen, amen. hallelujah probably one of the most important responsibilities of a parent is the training you can be seated I don't care you stand to make me happy is the is the tutelage and the training of their children and might I say of their children, whether that child is a child by birth of them biologically or whether it is an adopted child that they have brought into their family. We have been given a very weighty responsibility, I think not need to be taken lightly, and that is to train our children, to train our children. And that goes beyond training our children uh, concerning the natural things of life. Uh, how to tie their shoe and the way to set a table and different things of that nature, but how to train our children uh, for Christians through the spiritual aspects of this life as well. And so I would dare say then a very great of our concentration needs to be then uh, somewhere along the line as, as the spiritual rearing of our children, not to leave the others undone, but also not to forget about the spiritual rearing of our kids because among the different things that we teach them uh, from childhood unto adulthood, you know, people concentrate upon making sure their children uh, know how to play particular sports and they know all the rules and the regulations concerning a certain game of sports or perhaps uh, expressing their music talents and abilities. Maybe a mother or a parent is a musician and so they've taken them under their wing to teach them the ropes, if you will, of that or, or how to hunt or how to fish or uh, how, how just to uh, interact in, in, in a social plane uh, with other individual and how to have manners and be proper and all of that. Well, among all of those other endeavors that we have then is also this aspect of teaching them and training them concerning the things of spiritual matters. Uh, it's, not to, it's not like you got to choose to either do one or the other. Uh, I think it's very well to do both. You want somebody that is spiritually trained, but don't leave them without knowing just proper manners either. Boy, they're real spiritual, but I tell you what, they're not very good to be around just whenever they're outside the church. Because there's something to be said just over the natural things that need to be ingrained in them as well. Well, then again, they might be able to hunt and fish with bets of them, keep a home to pristine, but they are totally, totally devoid of any spiritual understanding or spiritual measure. So there must be a balance of all. Their spiritual lives are very, very important. And so we have, and here is, here is the challenge. We have as parents a very, in reality, a very limited number of years opportunity to instill in them both of those aspects the natural and the spiritual in reality uh, I know maybe kids might be staying at home longer than uh, what they used to getting married at 13 you know years ago and 14 but and maybe they're at home longer than they used to but even if you have someone stays at your house for 25 years uh, before they ever get married if uh, if they live to be 75 you had them for a third of their lifetime 
a third of their lifetime to instill in them spiritual values and natural values. And so it is up to us to be very purposeful and be very, very uh, purposeful and taking advantage of every one of those moments that we have to the best of our efforts. Amen. And so we say, we say we're parents. Uh, and we use the same thing sometimes, well, you're a dad or you're a father, but we're parents. And being a parent, having that label on you, there's more to it than just saying that you had reproduction brought about an offspring, and so you're a parent. And we throw a label on you, well, because you have a child, you're a parent. It goes further than that. It goes further than that. What it says is that we have then the responsibility also, not of just bringing them into the world, but some training and instruction and discipline in honing and molding that one that we brought into the world. Uh, parents can come together and have a child, but not every person that has the label parent can truly be a quote-unquote parent. Just like every father, can't, every father can't be a dad and every mother can't be a mom, not everybody has a label of parent over them or truly a parent just by bringing somebody into the world. There's still a grand responsibility that is left in our hands. And so I don't, I don't want to mis, misinterpret. Kids are wonderful and great, and I know there's days we see it say otherwise as well. But they're wonderful and great. The Bible says that they're a heritage from the Lord, and the Bible talks about blesses the man whose quiver, whenever he's describing children as being arrows, whose quiver is full of them. And so they are very precious, if you will. But, but they, they are not just something that we bring into the world in and of itself. Amen. Because what we understand is this. Whenever we bring a child into our home and family, by, by virtue of, of having an offspring, it being birthed into our home and birthed into our family, our responsibility does not stop. Because listen, whenever you created that human life through the act of reproduction, you also had created there an eternal soul. And we need, to, we need to feel the gravity of not just having a real human life, but an eternal soul that's within our hands. And so through one aspect of parenting, we are trying to mold the life of the child, if you will. And through another, another aspect of, uh, of their lives, we are trying to hone the eternal soul that will exist somewhere forever of that child as well. And so we, we have a great responsibility upon our shoulders. And so I've learned just in my few short years of, of having children, and not just that, but being raised in the home of several kids and having parents, that, that learning how to train children and discipline children in many respects is a process that develops over time. The moment that that little girl was first placed in my hands, and tears were flowing down my face because I thought this is God's greatest gift to mankind and overwhelmed by the moment. I had an idea of how we were going to rear this girl. I had an idea how we were going to contend with her mishaps, her, her defiance that would come, so on and so forth. But only over now the process of 10 years do I really understand a little bit further along, and I know there's still years ahead of me, but the process of learning how to train and instruct children, it develops over time. It would be great to have some of the wisdom of a grandparent whenever you first had your newborn. But it doesn't work like that. We say we're here to teach children, but in many respects, we learn from them as well. We learn the do's and the don'ts and what to do and what not to do as parents. It is a lot of trial and error. And sometimes more air 
and you feel like you're going through the trial. <laughs> Amen. But uh, don't give up. And quite also along with that, I think this is valid and it's important. And I'll, I'll, I'll hone in on this a little bit later today. But grandparents have a great, a great responsibility. And a hand of not just training, had trained their children, but helping enforce, underscore, and back their kids with their kids. Amen. Glory. Amen. <laughs> um, I know some that may feel overwhelmed with children and sometimes feel like they lack in knowledge and unqualified as parents uh, in order to rear their kids. But I, w I want to encourage you today, you got to be doing a good job. We have some examples in Scripture uh, that consider whenever parents are involved in the lives of their children in rearing and raising them. One in particular is Moses. Moses that grew up to be the lawgiver, the deliverer of the children of Israel. Another man by the name of Samuel that was reared by his family. He was, uh, grew up to be the prophet, priest, king type of titles was placed upon his life. Another one was Timothy. That Timothy grew up to be the assistant, if you will, of the apostle Paul. And so with all of these, they, they grew into their own respect, but they had and were nurtured by somewhere along the line. I think sometimes we just see Moses and we see Timothy and we see Samuel and think, man, look at that. But all of that really finds a core back in their upbringing and their nurturing of a family as a child. And here's the thing. If, if, we're, not, if we're not disciplined as parents, we cannot discipline our kids effectively. We got to have self-discipline in our own lives. And so parents are, by and large, should be the major, the major trainers in your kid's life. No one else should have as much say-so as you do in your kid's life. Amen. For one, no one, no one will ever be able to understand the challenge that the parents of Timothy and Samuel and all those had, had faced in their home ever, or might I say, Mary and Joseph, nobody will never be able to understand the challenge that Mary and Joseph had, for instance, like Mary and Joseph, because they were the parents of Christ Jesus, God incarnate, God in the flesh. And so if you think with it for a, more, uh, a moment, Jesus Christ having that dual nature of being God and being man, as God, Mary and Joseph could not teach him anything. But he subjected himself to the role of a man. As a man, though, they had to teach him and instruct him just as they would any other child. You thought your, you thought your job was hard. Try to have somebody that was God. Now, I know some of y'all, mine too, sometimes think they're God. But, uh, try, try to deal with someone that was actually God. The Bible says in Hebrews 5, 8, it states that though he were, speaking of Christ Jesus, were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. In other words, Jesus Christ, even in his life, apparently Jesus was able to differentiate what he knew as being God from what he knew as being man. And that allowed him to be able to take instruction and allowed him to subject himself unto his parents. The Bible says in our Luke 2, 51, that after Mary and Joseph found him in the temple and they asked him what he was doing there and he finally went home with them after three days being parted from them, the Bible says very plainly that whenever he went home with them in verse 51, that he subjected unto them. Christ Jesus subjected 
through his humanity to his earthly parents of Mary and Joseph. So that's a scripture put in your back pocket, I guess, whenever teenage years come. Say, listen, here even Jesus Christ obeyed his mom and dad. <laughs> but subjected, don't do that, but subjected himself uh, to his own parents. And so Jesus had, he had to learn the law. Now he was through his human side. His humanity he had to learn the law. And so his parents had to be the, the, the gatekeepers, if you will, of the home and teaching him the law of Moses. And they taught him evidently pretty well because many times later as he grows up in his rebukes against the scribes and against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he's all the time referring to the law of Moses, so on and so forth. And so there must be a certain, a certain respect for the law, amen, that came from his parents teaching him the principles of the law to observe the law. And not only that, they must not just teach him that, but they must also exemplify that in their own life. And how did they do this? There's a reason why I had you pause on a few words this morning in Luke 2 where the Bible says that they went there every year to the festival that was customary to go to. They went to that every year. Jesus didn't just pick up on going to the house of God because he was God, but through his human side, he picked up on it because Mary and Joseph, who were deemed on earth as his parents, went to the temple every year as the custom, amen, appropriated for them to go. And so even through that venue, he learned the importance of going to the house of God. And so as parents, it's not just what we say, it's what we do. It's not just the speeches we give, it's our actions that we portray in front of them as well, that we lead by example. Right? Amen. That's a reason, as they did in their day, customarily, if they were to go to the Feast of Passover, they did every year. Customarily in our day, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday is when we come together to worship the Lord. And it's good for our kids to see us say, it's time to go to church, to go to God's house, and then put on our clothes and go with them. Amen. To the house of the Lord. Amen. Someone say Amen. It's good for them to go with us and see us do those deeds and those acts as well. And so the Bible says that Jesus grew and that he developed. Jesus, I guess if he really wanted to, being through the God side of him, if he wanted to, he could have performed a miracle as a child. But he didn't. We don't see any recording of that, that he had done any of that. He could have done that if he wanted to. But you know what he was doing? Through the side of man, he was keeping in close confines and obedience to the law because under the law of Moses, a priest could not minister, a priest could not function until he reached 30 years of age. Do you know Jesus didn't start his public ministry until he was 30 years old? Was he doing that because he didn't have the power and authority as God to do that? No, he could on his God side, but on his human side, he was just staying and being obedient, if you will, to the law. He respected the age qualification, amen, for a priest in order to function. Then he performed his first miracle, the Bible says, at the marriage of Canaan. He might have been able to do it when he was three. Whoop, look at that. But he was being obedient on the human side of who he was to the law, which is very, very respectable. Jesus was trained then, according to the scriptures, he was trained then to obey his parents. Consider how much he really did condescend from his home in glory 
to submit himself to earthly parents. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 and verse 9, for as the heavens, this is, this is God now, he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If the great God of glory confines himself to a body, flesh and blood, known as Jesus Christ, his thoughts are higher, greater, yet he's got to submit himself to his earthly parents and by doing so, giving us an example and here is something very important if God Jesus in his God side could could submit himself to a human surely we as humans can submit ourselves to God God condescended and submitted himself that he knew more than them uh-huh on his God side all these other things and submitted then surely we can submit ourselves unto God now know what the scripture says in Luke 2, 49. He said unto them, his mom and dad, wanting to know where he was, how is it that ye sought me, wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Now Jesus is 12 years old. Whenever he's taken here to the temple in Jerusalem, he remained behind whenever they left. They're three days on their journey. They thought that perhaps Jesus was with one of the other family members or one of their acquaintance in that caravan from which they came when they understood that he was nowhere to be found or seen. I guess they had the common response of any parent. Oh, my goodness, what's going on here? And I am right now a whole lot settled than what I'd do if I didn't have my kid around for three days, okay? But nevertheless, and so they go seeking for him back at the temple. They find him. And they ask him questions about what are you doing here? We've sought you sorrowful. We've been worried. And this is what they said in modern day lingo. We've been worried sick. Maybe with a little bit more elevated voice. We've been worried sick. And Jesus' answer to his mother was this. At age 12, he pulled back the curtain just a little bit at age 12. And was letting his mother know, wish you not that I must be about my father's business. He pulled back the curtain a little bit at age 12 and was letting mama know, I know what my mission is for being on this earth. I know it's more than just being a carpenter's son. I know what my mission is. I must be about my father's business. And that's the reason why, if you want, if you want some understanding this morning, a lot of times people talk about what is the age of accountability? When, when, does, when does the child know that wrong from right? Whenever, when are they accountable for, for their salvation and so on and so forth? When is, uh, the reason why many people say 12, 13 years old is because of this story right here. Because Jesus understood what his mission was at age 12 in the temple. And he was telling his mom, I must be about my father's business. And that's the reason why a lot of people lean on the fact of accountability being around 12 or 13. Because Jesus came to his, or shared, I should say, his awareness of what his mission was in his earthly life with his mother whenever he was around 12 years old. And so at a very, what we would think, I guess, is a very young age, he knew what his mission in life was. Amen. And his parents didn't even know until he said something. They, and they probably had a little hard time understanding exactly what he was saying. And all the ramifications, they knew who he was. They knew he was the son of God. The angel told them that. But I don't know if they knew all the ramifications that came with Jesus Christ, amen, being the son of God that Mary would have from her womb. 
But now he's pulling back the curtain a little bit and says, I'm going to be about my father's business. See, no miracle had happened yet. Uh, no ridicule and all that stuff happened yet. We don't have much history about Jesus' upbringing from zero to 12, but we start to see he has a purpose and he has a mission. Now, that brings me to a spiritual aspect of being parents. Because God could very well have a responsibility and a mission for your child. Oh, Brother McGee. Get serious. I am serious. That you may not even be aware of right now or know right now. And there could come one of those days, and not in a playful manner, that you may ask, Man, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> and they look at you and say, A missionary to Thailand. And you're like, Yeah, that's great, little Bobby. <laughs> we'll go to we'll go to Chinatown in New York. But in reality, at a young age, God could be laying something already on a child's life. And whenever you learn a mission that God may have for your child, then you have a new facet of responsibility for you as a parent. It can happen. I think back to it. It's just weird. I think because at 12 years old, God called me to be a preacher at 12. 12 years old. I look back now and think, man, that's crazy. Then I look at Scripture and say, well, I guess it, it corresponds with how some things go. And with other people that I know. But with that knowledge for my parents at a young age, you know what they did? They, they directed me toward the bend that God had purposed in my life. And that is a responsibility of ours as parents where the Bible says, train up a child in the way that it should go. And whenever it's old, it will not depart from it in the way that it should go sometimes is the bend that God has placed in their life that you train them in that direction say well if you only uh, I got on my hand I got on my hands a blabbermouth all they know how to do is talk 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 it gets them in trouble in school and so on and so forth you know you can take that and hone that in a good direction for the kingdom mm -hmm. that'd be a great person that has no fear to witness or be an outreach and share their own personal testimony because you can have someone like that that doesn't care about it. They talk the bark off of a tree, you know, and they can talk to anybody and not inhibited by being around people. You can take that. But you, as parents, we got to give places and help bend. That's our responsibility. That's our responsibility as parents. Amen. And so I see Mary and Joseph. Mary's taking these things and putting them in her heart. She's putting there and tucking there and she's going to, in process of time be able to help bend the human side of Jesus in the direction of what his purpose was why do you think one of the reasons then at the marriage of Cana she told those folks she said whatever he says do it and Jesus like well now mom not my hours kind of not quite yet here but he went on and did the miracle what was she doing she was steering that mission are you listening to me she was steering the mission that was inside of that boy, the greater ultimate purpose on his human side to be the God that he was on his divine side. Amen. And so when we consider some of the people that were trained in Scripture, Moses was trained. At three months old, he was put into a basket of bulrushes down in the river because it was a time that all the male babies were to be thrown in the river, but his mother, Jacobed, kept him seeing he was a goodly child for three months but then put him in the river's edge only for Pharaoh's daughter to discover him and when she did she was looking then for someone to nurse this child 
his sister, Moses' sister, was close by. She went and got a woman. The woman that she got was Moses' own mother. And so mother was nursing the child, nurturing her own child, which is wonderful. And in those days, it was nothing for someone to nurse six years or in excess. And so she quite capably could have had that boy nursing him and carrying him for the first six years of his life. Let me tell you something. She wasn't just feeding him milk. There were some spiritual aspects that she was invested in the mind of that boy. So much so that after he, uh, for then the other portion of his life, was reared and raised in the palace of Pharaoh and had some of the greatest teaching of the Egyptians, he knew a moment in time that God called him to be a deliverer, and he knew he was. He knew he was a Hebrew by birth and by virtue and even by teaching of his mother. And so his, his mom and his dad, no doubt, instilled inside of him some training in, in, in his young formative years that would forever be with him. And I, God knew the purpose because God knew, listen to me, God knew that Moses would probably not be able to effectively lead Israel out of their Egyptian bondage if he didn't have some concept of who his people was. Or who he really was. Amen. Yet God set all this up just so that he would be knowledgeable of his heritage by virtue of his mom and the nursing of those six or more years and the customs of his people by his mom and dad. In that early years of his life, he is being instructed and trained concerning all these things. Job even said, Job even said in the book of Job, in Job 23, speaking of God, he said, He knoweth the way that I take. He knows the future just as well as the present. He knows what I need to be gotten ready for. Mm -hmm. He knows what I need to be gotten ready for. And sometimes he lays that on the heart of the child. Sometimes he lays that upon the heart of a parent. Here's something very important. If God has laid that on you, let me just give it for instance. If God has laid on your heart and you feel really in the spirit that God has called little Johnny or Susie to do some work of ministry, let's just say he called Johnny to be a preacher. Don't lay that on Johnny until God's laid it on him. Because we've had a lot of mama called and daddy called preachers that were never God called. You just wait to see if what God is impressing you with, they impress that child with and if they harmonize. Amen. And it's so, 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 so important. The training of Samuel, Hannah, here it is again, her and her husband, the Bible says, made annual trips to the temple. He had another wife, though, that was bearing children. Hannah was barren. The other wife almost a little poked at her because she was barren, kind of put it under the spotlight. Hannah was just so troubled about not having children, she finally called out to God and basically just told God this, God, if you give me a child, I'll give that child back to you. And whenever she had done that, the Lord had blessed her, and according to the time of life, she would have a child. But again, she did not take him to the house of God to be with Samuel until he was weaned. And so there is a segment of time that Samuel is with his mom, with his dad, and they have then the awesome privilege and responsibility of training him in the ways of the Lord for those times up until the year that he was weaned. And then the moment that he's weaned, they took him and gave him to the house of God, to the tutelage of the priests, Eli. Amen. 
Now, here's something I want you to understand. Training at home happened first. And then they free willingly gave him to be trained at the house of God. Uh huh. So there's two things. First of all, there needs to be training at home. That's important. But you also need to be willingly to offer your kids for training at God's house. I feel something hit me. All right. Be very careful. Be very careful about saying, I don't care what the pastor says. Listen to me. Especially when what I've said has harmonized with this right here and came from I don't care what the pastor says. This is what we do. The moment you do that, you have cut off the voice of your pastor. Greater than that, the voice that he is speaking is the voice of God. You cut off the voice of God. Then in your child. So what you're saying is our our earthly our earthly ideas and opinions matter more than God's opinions and ideas. Train them at home. Yes, this is a good book sometimes to train on the spiritual level. Amen. I know natural things are natural things, but on the spiritual level. But somewhere along the way, you got to offer them up willingly to be trained by the house of God. Sunday school class teachers, youth pastors, pastors, they need to be able to have a voice in their life, especially whenever this is the basis of the manual that they're using for that child's life. Because if that's the case, by and large, what they're going to be doing is just undergirding, hopefully, what you've already taught at home. We're not against each other. We should be in concert with one another. We're speaking the same thing. Here's the problem. Whenever things that are being spoken are different, let me tell you, they are not ignorant. They're going to call somebody on the carpet about it. But what about? And in that moment, you're either going to defend what you're saying or you're going to denounce what the man of God is saying. And so they trained him at home and then sent him to the house of God. The training of Timothy, training of Timothy. He didn't have that, 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 that real manly figure in his life. He did have a father, but his father was a Gentile. The Bible says, it talked about the unfeigned faith that was found in Timothy, that it was found in his mother Eunice and also in his grandmother, here I am, his grandmother Lois. And so this is where I see the training, the instructing discipline then of a child not only enforced by a parent, but undergirded and backed up by a grandparent. Not was it just not just was it his mother, but also his grandmother that had a hand in his life. Now, I am not saying don't take your role as a parent, just let grandma and grandpa do it. We got a lot of that. As a matter of fact, just here recently, um, take-home papers, one of my kids back is that they have a support group for grandparents that are raising their grandchildren because I guess that's come to an all-time high here within our community. So don't be doing that. Be, be a parent. But let your, your mom and dad or your spouse's mom and dad, let them be undergirders of what you teach. You might, maybe, maybe you got the star in the lapel and you don't need it, but let me tell you, there's been times in our life, just with our two kids this, this far along in the journey, 
that there's been things that we've taught them, educate them, or they've had a hard time at a certain spot in life. You know what I've did? I've put a little bug in my mom and dad's ears and say, if you could just help us out just a little bit right here. Whenever they're around or something, you know, say something, or well, what am I doing? I'm asking for them just to undergird what I'm already teaching and saying, but sometimes receiving it from a grandparent is different from receiving it from a parent. It is. And so for them to come behind me and just give that little, that little support and that little undergirding, that little enforcing it is helping not just them, it's helping me out. It really is, and I need that. I need that. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't have that grandparent or, or, or you know, yours is already passed or gone, you, you might seek out some good, good elders in the church that you have faith in that you can somehow instill in their ear something that they can be that for your children as they grow older and grow up because we need that. The, the unfeigned faith of Timothy because his mother and his grandmother was vitally important uh, for him. And so uh, we learn things oftentimes by repetition. Repetition. <laughs> Boy, is that the truth? Put that away. Put that away. Put that away. Put that away. Go to bed. Brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. Make your bed. Pick up your clothes. Go back in. What are you doing? Go back. Yep. <laughs> like a broken record sometimes. <laughs> you're laughing, but you're crying on the inside. Now, some have misinterpreted Proverbs 22, 6, where it said that when, if you train up a child in the way that he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Some have improperly misinterpreted that, that when he is old, he shall not depart from it, that it's a promise then that when the child grows up, they will forever remain faithful to the Lord. That is, that is, a, that is a misconstruing of that scripture. That is a misconstruing of that scripture. It may be better understood through the venue that if you've done the teaching and the equipping of those biblical matters that whenever they grow older, they'll never be able to fully escape the biblical principles that's been instilled in them. Not necessarily that they'll obey them, but they'll never be able to escape what's been instilled in them, even as children growing up into a godly home. And, and with that being said this morning, I want to just allay thoughts and feelings of some parents. You did everything you could do. You did everything that you could do that was right and training and, and stuff. And sometimes you carry around a load of guilt and shame because of maybe the direction of some of your kids have gone. Let me tell you, if you did everything within your power to train them and instruct them, the, the blood is not on your hands. And I, I don't know how comforting that is, but it, that blood is not on your hands. Amen. And so, you know, since all of creation has a fingerprint of God on it, there's a little bit of God in everything that's created. Just as an artist, anything that he makes has a bit of himself in it. There, there, there's a little bit of God in everything that he creates. And so we, we're handed something that's already got just some fingerprint of God on it by virtue of being part of humanity, made in the likeness and the image of God. And so we're just to help try to bring more out of that image and that likeness uh, than otherwise. Um, because children do not know how to do most of the things they need to do, we've got to train them properly. But then on the other hand, they have a tendency to do stuff that they shouldn't do. So we got to discipline them. And so there's a good marriage of instruction and discipline. It needs to take place within the home. And all instruction without no discipline is not going to rear 
the child that needs to be reared. Scripture even bears this out. The Bible states to us, and I'm going to the book of 1 Samuel, and this really troubles me probably more than anything because a couple of these I'm going to share with you this morning, and they always say they're the worst, uh, Sister Cook, I think we've discussed. They always say they're the worst, and that's minister's kids. Preacher and pastor's kids are the worst. So I've been told. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2 and 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Let me tell you, there's a, that's a, there's a lot of sad statements in the Bible, but that's one of the saddest statements I know of. Eli, who is the priest, the man of God, serving in all aspects concerning the temple, would have two sons. Belial means wickedness. And the statement would be said about those two boys of a priest that they knew not God. Now, let me tell you something. <laughs> you, you're almost going to have to be purposeful for two kids raised in a pastor's home not to know God. Are you hearing me? Because life is all about the temple. You, you, you have times you say, hey, get your, get your shoes on and coats. What are we doing? Going to get ice cream? No, we're going to the church. So it baffles me that Eli was a priest and yet his sons did not know the Lord. Verse number 17 of that same chapter says, Wherefore the sin of the young men, speaking of those two boys, was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Skipping down to verse number 29 of the same chapter, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifices and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honors, he's speaking this to Eli, honors thy sons above me. God said, you have honored your sons above me. To make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel of my people. Now, this is very sad. We're going to see with both Eli as priest and Samuel as priest. It looks like their kids, their kids' lives were corrupt while their fathers served in ministry. And I'm saying this morning, I'm not... Maybe if anybody here has the inkling, but I, I, I'm speaking to a larger audience than who's sitting here because I understand every week we have about 600 people. So there's 600 people beyond you all today that are maybe going to listen in the future. And so I want to talk to preachers, pastors, and ministers and say this. I ask myself the question with Eli and with Samuel is this. I wonder if them and their, their role of being the man of God and the pastor, if they gave more time to their ministry than they did to their sons. Because what all time be shared with me from Pastor Sizemore traveling, stuff like this, is that we must not cause our children to resent the very thing we want them to love. They can get lost in ministry. Mm -hmm. They can get lost in ministry. And what is the ministry of any individual in whatever capacity you may serve? What is the ministry of your life if chiefly at first doesn't involve your family? And so with all this being said, here is Eli. He's honoring his kids in those such a way that he's allowing them to get by with some stuff that they shouldn't be getting by with. That's how he's honoring them more than God. He's letting them get by with some things that they should not be gotten by with. That was not the right response. 
And the Bible says, if you look at 1 Samuel then 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. Daddy wasn't ignorant about this. He knew about it. Because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. As a matter of fact, these two sons, as they grew older, and they were even involved in some of the temple uh, items and stuff, they were doing immoral things with the women who came to the tabernacle. Daddy had knowledge of it. Daddy didn't do anything about it. The Bible says he restrained them not. What are you saying? Instruct them all you want to and how the sacrifices should be made, so on and so forth. That's great. Instruction, wonderful. But not without also an arm of balance of discipline. Mm-hmm. Amen. Because it's not just knowing what to do, but knowing what not to do. And I know, you know, sometimes within our families, one is more of the disciplinarian than the other. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes. And so it gives us good, proper balance in the home. Whenever one is not so much that the other one is there and that the other one that isn't so much is there to keep you from killing the kid. I do say that with humor. And let me say this. My hat is off to single moms or dads. Because you're trying to rear a child perhaps without that other facet. And God bless that child. Because if it's reared in the home of a single parent that is very strong disciplinarian and they don't have the mercy giver. Or vice versa. All they have is mercy but they don't have a disciplinarian. What my advice would be then to single parents is find people in your church family life that you can kind of group into. And that's happened around here. That you can group into that helps offset whatever your personality may be lacking. Amen? That if you're the disciplinarian, maybe they'll get mercy every once in a while. Or if you're the over-top, lovey-dovey, merciful, never disciplined, that they'll get that. Huh? So we need that. We need that. And so whenever I read then concerning, I read concerning Samuel, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 8, verses 2 and 3, now the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second, Abiah. And they were judges in Beersheba, and his sons walked not in his ways. His two boys walked not in the ways of Samuel, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Again, there's some type of pitfall in the discipline, in the training then of the kids, even a minister's kids. Now, here's something else I want us to understand. This kind of goes back to the concept. You could have done everything right and it still go south. Grown kids can just be as evil as the devil in spite of all your good training. Now, here's something, though, and I'll just make reference to these places. In Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33, both of those chapters, uh, I think this is important this morning. Ezekiel, in his role of being the, the, the prophet at that hour, God says, Ezekiel, I've made you the watchman. And he says, if you sound the alarm concerning something that's going on, if you sound the alarm that something's uncouth, he says, and they continue to disobey, he said, that's on them. He says, but if something's going on that's incorrect and you don't sound the alarm and they continue to go that direction, that's on you. And so with that being said, I know that was with the church, but as parents, 
We have been made the watchmen of our houses and homes. And so I know you do everything you want to for Johnny and do invest everything in him spiritually and teach him, instruct him and discipline him and he can grow up and maybe not make you proud in some respects. But if you've done everything that you could do during their childhood from, from, from blabbering mouth to where they could drive a car and get a job and go through college or whatever and be on their own, you've done everything you could do, then their downward, southward turn is on them. But if you haven't and it goes south, that's on you, Mom. There's a good portion of that that's on you, Dad. And so do everything you can while you can because, again, we only have a limited amount of time. And so if we could just, I could draw two stories real quick that everything good, I, I think it increases our chances, but it doesn't give us a guarantee. A good child upbringing doesn't guarantee a good adult life for that person. doesn't guarantee it. I think it may increase our chances. And for the same token, a bad upbringing doesn't necessarily guarantee a bad adulthood. Now, though, again, I think the chances might be increased, but it's not a fail-safe thing that it's bad, it's going to be bad, it was good, it's going to be good. And we even have stories in Scripture as such. There's a man in the Scripture by the name of Jephthah. The Bible says he was the son of a harlot. His father went out away from his wife, found a woman of the night, involved in holotry and had an illegitimate son born as a result of that and whenever then his actual wife started having children they didn't care for this other person that was a child of their father they thrust him you can read it in Judges 11 they thrust him out of his house and the Bible says that Jephthah had a gathering together of vain fellows that came to him this is his upbringing yet when the moment of time come and Israel needed some deliverance they went and found Jephthah and whenever it really counted and he vowed a vow to God that if you bring me through all this and this all goes, goes well, I'll sacrifice the first thing to you that walks across the threshold whenever I get home. And whenever his own daughter came across the threshold, he was pure and he was dedicated to his vow he made to the Lord. Although it meant sacrificing the thing he loved the most, he was dedicated to his vow to the Lord. And look at this. Here's a man so dedicated but had a horrible upbringing, the son of a harlot, round vain fellows, pushed out by his own brethren, but he turned out pretty good fella yeah on the contrary we see someone such as Samson seemingly has every advantage in life he's born to some parents that could not have children his birth was announced by an angel <laughs> you would think he would walk in adulthood with halos on his fingers and toes angel pronounced his birth godly parents who loved him very much so greatly he's uniquely dedicated to God living his life as a Nazarite experienced the, the power of God at sundry times the Bible says upon his life yet despite all these favorable acts we see the tragedy of his life in the three chapters of Judges seemingly everything was man you had angels pronounce your birth but it didn't turn out so hot and so we're not talking about your destiny one way or another by your childhood, but I do believe it has major implications. It has major effects and impacts on how you were reared and raised. The Bible speaking concerning David. Here's another one. David sometimes didn't always get it right. He's a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't always the best parent. 
One of the family failings of David, we've been talking about instruction, but also needing discipline just as important. One of the family failings of David was that he was too easy on his kids. Mm -hmm. Too easy towards his children. He allowed his natural affection for them as a parent to override his better judgment. I love my kids, I like to spend time with kids, I want to be friends with my kids, but if it comes to down where I got to be friend or I got to be father, I'm going to be father. Mm-hmm. How, how do you say so? Well, whenever you look at the story, just follow me. David failed to punish Ammon for the crime that he committed against Tamar for raping his half-sister. David didn't do nothing about it. Concerning David then, David didn't do anything about Absalom murdering then Ammon. Didn't do anything about it. As a matter of fact, a little later then, you see his son by the name of Adonijah. He was rebelling against David, was going to take the throne room when David said it's already going to be Solomon. Going to take the throne room. And we notice then, here he is. He's coming in to do his thing, take the throne. And the Bible really tells us the story in 1 Kings then chapter 1. Verses 5, 5, and 6. The Bible says, Then Ananijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Here he is. And his father, the problem, let me say that, the problem that David was having right here really stems back to what he didn't do for Adonijah when he was a younger child. And his father had not displeased him at any time. What we got here. Pardon me, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. What we have here is a spoiled brat that had never been displeased by his father. His father never said no. Never, never was there any cross faces from his son because it was always like this for dad. Never displeased him any time in saying, why hast thou done so? He also was a very goodly man and his mother bare him after Absalom. So what we have here is Adonijah about ready to take the throne room, and he probably thinks, I got this thing to bat. Dad's never said anything differently whenever I wanted something. So what he's dealing with right now at this time is life is something that should have been taken care of at a younger time of life. There was a lack of discipline. Oh, someone say, oh, yeah, I heard it. Oh, yeah. So David had never questioned Adonijah. He never, he never displeased Adonijah. He did nothing to restrain Adonijah. Improper training of his child. And so when he, when he wasn't taking advantage of, of restraining him when he was young, he had difficulty with restraining him when he was older. Let me tell you something. I think the way it went with our household that as we grew older there were less problems disciplinary wise with us the reason why is because when we were kids we got it lock stock and barrel the lesson was learned then so that there was less likelihood of taking advantage of it when we were teenagers I know my kids are not teenagers. I know someone probably is already getting together their papers about how in the world should he be teaching on this morning. He's still got kids. Well, I was a kid that grew up in a home and a family. Now, I know I'm a different row now, but I understand what that row served in. And with that being said, 
some of the, I think some of the, the junk that we deal with in the teenage years could have been taken care of if we were more diligent in the younger years. Oh, I have a few people that's in agreement. I, okay. I'm not looking for a majority vote, really I'm not. Amen. Stand with me this morning. I didn't realize I've already went this far over. Brother McGee, you could have been a whole lot more spiritual this morning. Well, let me tell you, raising kids is very spiritual. Rearing kids is very much spiritual. On the natural plane and on the spiritual plane, it's vitally important. Why are you talking about this? i tell you why. Because some of you, when you're dead, I'm still going to have them here with me. If I may be so blunt. Whenever you're gone, some of them still going to be around here. They're going to be having kids. Pastor Bishop, tell us about the generations that you have seen go by during your time of your pastorate. What I'm saying this morning, if you want me to get on my knees and beg, I'm asking you, do me a favor. Assume your parental responsibilities as described in the word of the Lord. Be a tremendous instructor and also a great disciplinarian. I heard a whole lot more yeses on the instruction side. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads in here this morning. Ask God to touch us. Lord, I'm praying. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.